Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tansha's Talk, the world's only English language program focusing primarily on Hungarian folk music. My name is Kalman Magyar Uchi. I'm your host, coming to you from Toronto, Canada. Episodes of Tansha's Talk, which combine a mix of music and stories delivered by yours truly, are available as always on tanzhaz.com, that's T-A-N-C-H-A-Z.com, and on YouTube, just search Tanzhaz Talk on YouTube and subscribe so you don't miss anything. Today, though, we have an episode of Tanzhaz Talk Interviews. This is where I delve into long-form interviews with a wide array of guests. Um, episodes of Tanzhaz Talk Interviews are available on all popular podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. So make sure you subscribe and leave a nice review if you like what you hear. Today I am very excited to have on the program my old friend and um, the folk dance expert, uh, Steve Katansky, calling in from the outskirts of New York City. Steve Katansky was born in 1951 in New York, uh, raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, and then moved to Southern California after high school. He studied dance for a couple of years at the University of California at Los Angeles, at UCLA. And, um, and down there in uh, Los Angeles, he danced with the prestigious Aman, A-M-A-N, folk dance ensemble Aman of Los Angeles. He started his first research trips uh, going to Hungary and the former Yugoslavia in the 1970, early 1970s, and uh, Steve moved to Germany in the 70s where he lived for seven, uh, six or seven years teaching international folk dance there and continuing his research, research trips to Hungary, in, in particular in the 1970s uh, where uh, he studied with the dance master Timar Sándor, whose name comes up often on the podcast and on the show, among others. Um, it was during this time that Steve met his future wife, Susan Snyder. Uh, Steve has taught at every major North American uh, festival and camp uh, in the Balkan scene, and that includes Hungarian dancing as well, and oftentimes with Susie. And he also teaches dance to children in New York, in New York City area public and private schools. A little more about Steve's background with respect to Hungarian dancing. Steve and Susie, they founded and co-directed the Gujoy Dance Ensemble. Who remembers that name uh, in New York City? And they worked closely with Zoltan Zhurovsky, Zhura, uh, Zoltan Farkas, Batyu, Ferenc Shara, among others, who came to New York to choreograph and teach their ensemble. Um, and Steve has also served as a consultant to several Hungarian folk ensembles. If you saw Gypsy Spirit, uh, several years ago, touring, uh, Steve had worked with the uh, with Jura's group there on some of the uh, Balkan uh, elements of the dance. Um, Steve and Susie have two grown children, uh, Maya and Jesse, who himself is a very accomplished professional musician. Um, Steve's classes are very popular. His teaching methods, you know, uh, if you've ever seen him, it's half dance and half history and anecdotes. Uh, he's very, very popular and very much in demand. Um, all, all over, uh, not just North America, but the world. If you've never heard of Steve and you are a fan of the Tansas, you probably should have. In my estimation, he's probably taught 
Hungarian dancing to more non-Hungarians than anyone else in the United States. And um, so he's quite prolific in his reach, uh, has been doing it for uh, many, well, not many, but several decades now. Um, I'm very, very happy to have uh, Steve Katansky join us from the phone. Hello, Steffi. Hi, Archie. Nice to see you. Hear you. Indeed. <laughs> I've seen you. Yeah. By the way, I, I actually lived in um, Munich and Europe from 72 to 1980, so eight years. Oh, in Munich. Wow. So, um, yeah, well, we're going to talk about your experience there. And so you speak, uh, you speak German, right? I speak German, Mojarul, uh, and uh, uh, Serbian, and um, yeah, or Croatian. It was called Serbo-Croatian when I studied it. Nice. Anyway, yeah, those those are three languages that I'm 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 probably most proficient in German, but I can get around with in the other two. Your English is pretty good, though. So let's stick with English, Steve. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yours isn't bad either. Yeah, I have a little. <laughs> I have a little accent, you know. Um, uh, crossing the border. <laughs> well, crossing the border once, they asked me, where are you from? And I said, I'm from New Jersey. And the guy's like, no, where are you actually from? And I, that, I had to explain, <laughs> Hungarian was my first language, and I didn't speak any English until I was four or five. Um, I, I've, I've known you and your wife, um, all, I, well, you've known me, I think, all my life, pretty much, or close to it. Um, we go back a long way in the New York area. And I'm 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 already upset at myself because I know I'm gonna uh, I'm already missing I'm gonna be missing some um, a, a lot of material. So you have to promise me uh, you know you're you're gonna come back at some point to keep talking because Steve's experience goes you know not it just just well beyond hungry and it's a very not just micro level but then you get this macro experience as well listening to Steve and his stories and tying in all the various cultures of Eastern and Central Europe. Um, Steve, I know you're a closet. Thank you, Richard. thank you. I, I know you're a, a closet Hungarian, but what's your what's your actual uh, ethnicity? Your background? Okay, well, I, it's interesting because uh, I didn't know that until I started folk dancing in California. I remember coming home one day, and after having learned a uh, dance that many folk dancers are familiar with, it's actually a choreography by a man named Anatoly Joukowsky called Horeranski Chardash. So here you have the Slavic and the Hungarian. It's a Slovak-based dance. And I asked my dad, what are you? What are we? Excuse me. He said, what do you mean, what are we? We're American. And I said, no, the ski. And he said, why, is somebody bugging you about it? And I said, no, no. I learned this dance called Horeranski Chardash. And I was just curious. And he started singing in Slovak. So um, he was, his first language was Slovak. He grew, he was born in the, in the United States in in. Uh, this is my father's side of the family. He mm -hmm. was born in Illinois, in Streeter, Illinois, which was a Slovak uh, Carpatho-Rusin enclave. And he um, he had grown up, like I said, speaking Slovak. Interestingly, too, when I was a kid, my father was a publisher. He had uh, published the Kodai method of teaching children and invited Zoltan Kodai over to the States twice to lecture at uh, Stanford and Boston. And I actually, as a kid, met Zoltan Kodai and had to play the piano for him, wow. which was a joke. Oh. <laughs> so as a kid, I, I did that. But then I, I discovered folk dance and uh, 
as a, in high school and uh, at Stanford University we would go folk dancing and that's where I, I discovered what my uh, paternal side of the family was. So it's Slovak and Carpatho Lucene from all the uh, research I've done and the family actually comes from what was part of Austria-Hungary in that eastern Slovakia region around Preshov and, and, and Košice, or, or Kasha, as the Hungarians say. Mm. And my mother's side is, 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 is mixed Western European, even some Scandinavian. I did, I did an uh, Ancestry.com uh, uh, DNA taste test, and I found out that I'm 51% from that area of Central Europe. Wow. So, so you, you didn't get into dancing through that... Slovak, Carpato, Rusin background of yours. No, no, no. Although it's interesting, when I think I don't know if I mentioned this. Uh, when my father, you know, he started singing in 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 Slovak because that's what he learned at a at a, a Catholic school when he the first school he went to in Streeter, Illinois. Mm-hmm. So your your first exposure to folk dance was, uh, I guess, in the. Uh, in, in California, Northern California, at Stanford University, you were you were in high school, but you but there would be these dances at Stanford. Was this similar to what was going on in New York at Columbia University? Yeah, like it was going. It was in the '60s. It was very popular at many university towns, and um, I actually, you know, we would be taught square dancing and social dance in junior high, and uh, I, along with some friends, actually taught a folk dance class in our gym class at uh, at my high school. Hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, it was very popular in the 60s. And there were, in the Los Angeles area, there were clubs, but in the northern, and clubs were starting to pop up in the Bay Area, too, where I was growing up. Uh, uh, so there were international and Balkan Israeli groups. Mm-hmm. So these are circle dances, um, and, and, bo- and mostly Balkan and Israeli uh, pretty much spinning records, not no live music at that time. Yeah, all all records, all records. Even still, seventy eights were being used. There were these. Uh, this, it's interesting. There were these record players called uh, caliphones that were calibrated. You could slow them down a little. And so, records at that time were seventy eights, forty fives, and thirty threes, and some EPs. And there were not only there were also some couple dances that were popular and especially some of the Hungarian dances at that time that were popular were dances that uh, Andor Tompo had taught and one or two things that were much much older from Vitz Balayas that didn't even have Hungarian names they had you know, crazy crazy translations what caught your eye and your passion in terms of dance then well, I, I, I think, it, I know in the beginning I was really into the, the Balkan. I liked the line dances, you know, the fast dances, the tricky footwork, the music, and, and, especially, and also the mixed rhythms. The, the Balkan rhythms were, were, you know, really intriguing. But I also loved the Hungarian sound. It was something that, uh, that struck a nerve when I heard, you know, Hungarian or Slovak music. And there were a few dances that, uh, and there were a couple dances or uh, men's or women's, you know, the women's circle dance. Uh, there were some of those, but also uh, Andor had made up a Kapuvadi Verbunk, and there was Cerny Verbunk, and mm-hmm. later I learned Kuhn Verbunk, but all these were, none of these were, uh, how should I put it, 
were they were they were created choreographies. Right. Well, that's a name we can't really skip over. Uh, hasn't come up yet really in any of our episodes. But Andor Tsompo, who passed away a couple of years ago now, um, he he was, I would say, and Steve, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, that but the first real teacher of Hungarian folk dancing within the folk dance community without, you know, within that Stanford, Columbia, whatever, you know, the camps going on already with, within that community. Uh, 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 is, that, is that what you understand as well? I think that's true. There were, some, there were some names that pop up if you do dance research. And, you know, off the top of my head, I'd have to go look at my notes. There were a few people who had brought things into the, um, into the folk dance community. But Andor was the first one who really... Uh, who really got things started. And then it's interesting because uh, in 69 at Stanford, where I was mentioning the dance, Chapa Palsy was invited uh, over to the States and he taught at Stockton Folk Dance Camp and then he also taught uh, workshops in, in the California area. So I met, I met uh, Chapa, who was very important in my connection to Tansa's dance uh, that we can get into a few into, uh, later. Yeah, yeah. So, and it took. It's interesting. Andor, Andor, in the beginning, he didn't think that he he was a he was a he also taught at a university in a, in a physical education department, and I think he really he used to say a lot that he believed that fixed choreographed dances is what the uh, folk dancer in the United States needed. But he changed his he changed his mind later as he became um, good friends with Timash Andor, and he began himself to to bring in some some. Tantas-style dancing. Right. That's a huge thing to, un to, to understand that, um, you know, that the Israeli and the Balkan are, are, is generally a fixed pattern that's repetitive. There's some improvisation within each pattern, but, uh, and I'm generalizing, Steve, uh, but, 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 you yeah. know, and, and trying to break Hungarian dancing into that world uh, was a challenge. And of course, even more challenging pre Tansas movement because we really didn't know the various regions that well at that time. Um, so that's a, that's an interesting uh, challenge that came up early on, and I think Ondor initially had it right, um, and that's that's how you kind of break in, and we see that now too. I mean Moldvai and 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 dances like that, which actually are most more or less Romanian, but there's some mixture there. But you know those are very very popular to to grab new people, grab new folks into the Tansas. Absolutely, absolutely. And you see that even in, you see that very strongly, or did see that until recently, very strongly in Hungary, in Hungary as well. Mm -hmm. Some of the most popular tantas uh, were the, uh, you know, the Thursday night Moldvai tantas, which unfortunately, I think, uh, they lost their space, and I don't know if they've re, if they've refound a new space. But that was a, a very popular contest. Yeah. And yeah. again, you could show you could show up without a partner, even though you could do that at at, at the FM, you know, Haas or whatever. Mm -hmm. You could you can show up without a partner and usually find someone. But that was very popular because of that. And and interestingly, you would have the circle dance going around the outside, and on the inside, a lot of people would be doing. Uh, uh, Couple dances to, for example, Hora or Sotoba, right. which here you go again, uh, not too Hungarian yeah. uh, as far as nomenclature goes. <laughs> yeah, well, but the spirit is the spirit is the Carpathian Basin spirit, right? Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah. So, 
So you're a teenager, you really get smitten, obviously, Stephen, so much so that you decide to, to go down to Los Angeles and to study at UCLA and to join Amman. Uh, t tell us about UCLA. I know you spent just one or two years there but in the folk dance program, but what were they teaching back then? What was the curriculum like? Okay, well, let me back up just a little. So high school, I'm still, I'm, I'm in, by the way, in the Bay Area, I was dancing with the, uh, with Westwind, which was a pretty prestigious uh, uh, international folk dance group there, performing group. And we did, what did I dance there? It's funny, I danced, uh, we danced Dader de Burgers and Kerstes, uh, and then we also did a dance that Andor had taught them, uh, a Schadgantusch. So there were choreographies that we were doing that were already Hungarian. I decided to become, I went to UCLA, I chose three colleges that had dance programs, hmm. and then I ended up going to UCLA as a dance major, but found out early on that I had to be a modern dance major and go through four years of dance before I could focus on ethnic dance, and I was, you know, really wanting to study ethnic dance because I always loved the cultural aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't last long as a dance major, but I, in Los Angeles I danced with Amon, I danced with uh, a group called the Liberty Ensemble, which or Assembly, which was a, a American folk dance group that was run by... Uh, by, by uh, um, uh, the Ivan and I danced in a Ukrainian-Russian group. Jeez. Then I, so, so I'm performing in all these groups at the same time. I'm dancing seven nights a week at the different coffee houses throughout Los Angeles. Los Angeles had a primarily, a, a, you know, besides the international folk dance scene, they had a coffee house scene, which would, each night would be different. You'd have Balkan night, you'd have Israeli night, you'd have Greek night, and some nights would be, um, a little more mixed, mm -hmm. but usually when they're mixed, they were Balkan and Israeli primarily. Was it live music or spinning, so no, rec spinning records still? Not, no, uh, no uh, it was, well, here, thanks for asking that, because it was still spinning records, although out of Amman, there was a group called Pitu Guli, and they were friends of, uh, friends of mine, dancers and musicians in Amman, who began to play um, traditional quote-unquote, traditional uh, Bulgarian and Macedonian instruments. Mm -hmm. And they put together an ensemble that was like a Beethoven orchestra in Bulgaria or a Izvorni, uh, right. Izvorno, mm -hmm. as they called that in Macedonia. And they were playing uh, the repertoire of Bulgarian uh, folk instrument groups or Petsy Atanasovsky's radio television ensemble from Skopje. Primarily, and I sort of became the mascot to that group, and would go wherever they went, and, and often lead these different uh, dances, which were not so often choreographed. They were more. We would do twenty-minute provos, or you know, dances that um, that didn't weren't necessarily in the choreographed uh, Balkan movement. Nice. Um, Aman, the group, uh, is very important. I think it it no longer exists, unfortunately. Um, but when I when I when people ask me about it before, you know, I, I kind of envision it. Uh, I say it's like a almost a tambourine's for adults. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, but it's more. They did uh, the, the scope of of, of Amman's uh, was also you know Asian and and other other cultures. Yeah, and there other were two. Continents. 
There were two major groups in, in the Amman in the 70s that I was in. It was founded by Tony Shea and Leona Wood. Mm-hmm. And Tony, uh, Tony did, Tony, although he was very well versed in, in Persian music and dance, he focused on the Balkan section and Leona on the Oriental or Middle Eastern, as it was often called, which extended even into Africa and uh, even mm-hmm. further east. And then within the, and the, the larger group was the, the Balkan section, and it had a tall, the tall and the short, short group. And then there were, um, and, and Tony based a lot on, uh, on his experience and his love, I should say, of Croatian dance. Mm-hmm. He loved Lado. Lado was his, uh, you know, his model that he, he emulated. And he loved the costuming. He liked what he could do with that. And as you said, it was sort of like a Tamboritsin's group for, for adults. You had to try out for it. And, right. and uh, we, we met twice a week to rehearse on Sundays, a long rehearsal with mus- musicians. And on Thursday nights, we had, uh, we had a separate Balkan dance, uh, uh, Balkan section rehearsal. Did you guys get paid? No, no, not at all. But sometimes we would get, uh, we would get, I like, we would get asked to teach, many of us were teaching at, at the different uh, coffee houses. Right. And, and there we would get paid. But as, as, at that time, there was, it was a purely amateur, uh, vol- not voluntary. I mean, you had to try out, but yeah, mm-hmm. it was voluntary, but nobody got paid. Right. Later they changed that. After I left, there, there was, um, there was a, uh, they, an outreach program that went into schools and they began to, to, to be, they became semi-professional in that sense that, mm-hmm. that many of the, the performances get paid. That was after my time. I left in 72. Right. What a, it sounds like a very robust scene uh, going on in Los Angeles at that time. And, uh, you know, Aman yes. has an important relationship uh, with the Karpatok group there, or had one. I know there were some uh, people in both, uh, like Don Sparks, for instance. And I, um, yeah, I, I used to I used to go to Karpatov rehearsals also with Tibby and with Attila in the early days. I was more or less chasing the beautiful Hungarian women. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, we all do that. It burned a lot of calories. Uh, so, so you. You mentioned. There, by the way, yeah. you mentioned you mentioned Karpatok. You should also mention Betyarok. Betyarok was a non well, primarily non-Hungarian. There's one. There was one couple that had Hungarian background, but that was Elsie Dunnan, who uh, who, with the help of of Andor, and um, about six couples, had a Hungarian performing group called mm-hmm. Betyarok. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a lot going on. You. Ca- can I just ask you a follow-up about uh, tall boys or tall group and short group? Like literally, yeah. they, they, he That's cut the group into half because some ethnicities or some regions have short people and tall people? No, because some, because uh, Tony liked the, Tony was very stage oriented. Ah. And and it, he just he liked he, he and it was a good way to to teach a lot of material too. We did a lot of joint group uh, joint pieces, but but he liked the idea of of um, of you you know of what's the word I should use just you know the, the, all the tall men and or tall women together mm-hmm. and the shorter men and short women together on the stage you know it, it just had had a better look in his in his uh, aesthetic. 
And of course, you're quite tall, uh, so you're probably in a tall, tall group. Yeah, I'm six two and a half. Exactly. I like to add the half because it takes a little from the width. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, Steve, first research trip to Hungary. When was it? Tell me about it. What did you see? Okay, I, in 1970, as a between between um, going to from high school to UCLA, I went to Europe with my family. And uh, I parted with them. I went to Vienna to visit a friend of mine who was a folk dancer. She was a Stanford. Uh, she's still very active in ethnic music, Jane, Dr. Jane Sugarman. Okay. And Jane was, uh, did work eventually in Albania, but had also gone to Macedonia, was studying in Vienna. I went to Vienna, and then I got on a, a train, and I went to Budapest. And through my father, I had connections with... Uh, with the um, director of the Liszt Liszt Institute, her name uh, she just passed away last year. I got to see her just before she passed away. Eshbet Sunyi. She was uh, she was Kodai's assistant, hmm. and I had met her in the states. And she was lovely, spoke beautiful English, and she had connections. And she got me in touch and got me to go to rehearsals where the Olami was rehearsing with Rabbi Miklosh. Right. And I got to meet him, and he allowed me to, to do some Super 8 videos of some dancers. I told him I was interested in, in the Erbe, uh, uh, you know, Ferfi uh, Danzok and uh, men's dances. And, and he had some of his dancers dance that for me. And then he invited me to join the group in Debrecen, but I'd have to get myself there. So I took a train to Debrecen, and for four days I hung out with the state ensemble, um, back in 1970, and every night I sat in the audience with uh, uh, Rabbi Miklos, who spoke beautiful English, and mm. he basically, it, this is interesting, I'd like to share this, because he basically had had sort of a Moisev-type um, model for his choreographies, which he said to me in English, ah, these people out here don't understand that, and he said, I really don't like doing it, but I'd rather, he said, I'd rather do research. And if you look at his biography, there's some beautiful pictures of him when he's out with peasants doing filming. I mean, all of these people, like uh, like uh, Miklos, uh, Rabbi Miklos, and later uh, uh, um, Martin George and the Peshovar brothers, and all these people, you can just see there was this this real love of doing peasant research along the lines of Bartok and Kodai a few others who had done that before. Mm. I see a lot of those pictures, and even even having worked with, uh, or been with Cernia she took me out to the countryside where they would go and they would be on on panels to watch different uh, musicians and singers and, and dancers and such. So that was always, a, I think, a, a passion of these, of these uh, early... Um, these early pioneers, I guess, is a good word for them in in the folk dance performance and uh, research uh, in Hungary. So that's interesting. You know, they're still dedicated to research, and and but ultimately, what went on stage was a very Moiseyev style, and and um, there was there were political reasons probably behind that. Also, you know, they had to make oh, a living, absolutely. and that was the thing to do. Um, but. But uh, and and you don't hear much about Raboy. I at least I haven't heard much about his his research work. Um, uh, I'm, I know him as the choreographer of some of the greatest, most classic Hungarian state folk ensemble choreographies, such as Echeri Lakodalmas and Kalai Kettős and the like. 
Um, but it's uh, yeah, like, and, and yeah. actually, your dad, you know, bring your dad into this because yeah. I remember your father had some some of those early sixteen millimeter films of the state ensemble that we just loved watching. I would sit in your living room, and I don't. You were probably still very very young, but your dad and I would watch. Uh, and one one of the films I'll never forget because your dad had that was the Kuhnwerk book. Which, which was a pretty much a choreography when you see the, the village version, which I've seen, mm-hmm. and uh, what they call this crazy thing called the uh, Chigan dance, which was a real, yes. <laughs> real, uh, very, very much a Moisey thing where somebody's even pulled way up off the stage to just, it's crazy. Yeah, just to, yeah, uh, but, just to harken back to a, my first interview I had with Kama Andreisiger, we talked about the Chigan dance as well, and these themes do come up. Um, but so, but this because this is pre Tansa's movement that you're first seeing these guys spending um, an, an unbelievable four days in Debrecen. Um, these are still though the you know the the, the red boots and the, the pointy toes uh, type of style of dancing um, that you're seeing yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, in tight pants, tight men in in, in, in tights and <laughs> men in tights. Yeah, men in tights. Yeah. And, uh, and and but the interesting thing is, you know, you had you had. You even had Kodai uh, uh, composing music for some of the suites. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was a big, it was a big orchestra, and a chorus. So the original uh, um, Alami was 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 uh, was that chorus, dancers, and orchestra. Yeah. And um, when I when I later, you know, when we were in Hungary, Susie and I, early on, that still. Was it exist when Timar took over the state ensemble? He, you know, he still had to keep the chorus and the and the large orchestra, and then he brought in the kamara, you know, the little kamara uh, orchestra, which was uh, um, right. different groups like Dega and and Shebu and all these different um, small groups, and and it was sort of a transitional period, and all the dancers, including Bachu and Jura. And, and Mickey and all these people you know and, and met who later started uh, started the Kodai Adutesh. Mm-hmm. Um, all those people were trained and 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 had to learn all these major uh, choreographies, these older choreographies or older style choreographies, the stage choreographies. That's right. That's right. Um, well, yeah, and then we'll be hearing in a couple of days from Levanta Seke, who was also one of the musicians in that transitional period. Right. And um, and and um, his wife Haiti and Haiti and Haiti yeah. was a dancer and his wife was a dancer in that group. Well, not only that, I, I believe she was in the same class as Juran Bocu and the rest of the clan there. So that's interesting. Yeah, she was, yeah. and she was. I remember seeing her dance, you know, in these in these not not in the seventies, but well, yeah, it was in the seventies. It wasn't nineteen seventy, but in that transitional period, I think that's very interesting, where all of these uh, young dancers who were instrumental in getting the tantas going or in in dancing in the tantas we're also dancing in the bartok ensemble we're also professional dancers to make you know to make ends meet in the state ensemble and or in the army ensemble or what have you and uh, it's just fascinating because you could see how they were how they were you know they politically they had to they had to make that transition happen slowly Mm-hmm. It couldn't just happen overnight because you had it, you had too many people who were already invested in it and 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 uh, who had lifelong careers in it. So it had to happen delicately. That's right, delicately. At least that's that. 
That's my understanding. That's a lovely word for it, I think. Uh, Steve, and it's interesting, in our own, in the Hungarians in our own country, in Canada, were also kind of walking that thin line, you know, interested in what these younger people had to offer and bring, but still there, um, you know, the, the Hungaria and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and Daisika Kaman and those people, they had started by sort of emulating the state ensemble choreographies and, uh, and, um, and there would be huge arguments too <laughs> that I didn't understand because my Hungarian was poor, but there were a lot of people who didn't believe that the Tansas type of music and dance was Hungarian because of so much of it was, was, was in, inspired by Hungarians from Transylvania. And, mm-hmm. and I remember people showing up at, at, at uh, when there would be a, a, a interview or something, and they, they had pieces of paper in their hand to argue that this was not Hungarian music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was funny. I, I, that was at the Liga or at the at the at the uh, Cherkenshaz. There was one night uh, where your dad had organized a, um, a, a a lecture and then questions with um, oh I can't remember his name. I, I have it. I, he was mm-hmm. a uh, ethnomusicologist, a uh, very famous one who was at that time. I have his book. At, uh, in my library, but I can't go in there right now. But but afterwards, there were people who were there primarily just to to challenge him. They were there to challenge his, uh, you know, uh, you know, because it, that, that there was still a strong sense and feeling that these were communists, and we were, you know, we were the, the nineteen fifty six had divided a lot of uh, of passions. Yes. let's put it that way. Yeah, for sure, for sure. When you were going in the early 70s to Hungary, so I, your first trip you mentioned is 1970. Beyond seeing the state folk ensemble and being the, having the great honor of sitting next to Rabbi Miklos for four nights in Debrecen watching the performances, were you able to go to the countryside or, or hop over into Transylvania despite the tough border crossing? You know, no. It was a tough border crossing, and I, I have a story. I don't know if we have time for it, but... Uh, that's all. That's all we have is time. So please go ahead. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I I laugh about this because here's this 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 kind of naive American kid just out of high school in Debrecen saying goodbye to the state ensemble. They all got on their bus and went wherever they were going. That may have been. I think they were going to another place to do a series of of concerts. That's what they did. They would travel on their bus around Hungary and do concerts. And I was off to Transylvania. And so I sat, I was, <laughs> here's, here's the picture. I'm at Debrecen uh, train station. I'm thinking, to the left is, uh, uh, is east, to the right is west. So I'm waiting for this train. And, you know, the names, the names in those areas are so long and everything, and it's all yeah. in Hungarian. <laughs> I'm waiting for a train to come from the right that I get on to take me to the left. Not knowing that in order to get to Romania, I would have had to gone back yeah. towards Budapest and caught a different train that cuts further southeast <laughs> to get to Romania. So I missed my I missed my um, train to Transylvania, mm. and not only did I miss that, but my visa ran out, and uh. boy was I in trouble. <laughs> I was staying in a nice hotel, no more room there. I went. I had to stay the night. Somebody explained to me in broken German, and he shared with me his fish soup and palinka. He worked there. I was filming 
trains going by with my Super 8, including a Russian military train. Oh, That's how naive I was. Nothing happened, though, when I was walking around with this guy between the trains as he checked everything, and he got me into a hotel where I got bitten by bedbugs. The next morning, I went to the police station, explained my situation in broken English to a guy who spoke a little English and German, and he explained to me exactly you know, what had happened. He gave me a stamp that let, gave me enough time to get back to Budapest and get out of the country. Because in those days, you had to pay per day to stay as an American. You had to have a visa, mm -hmm. and you had to have, uh, you had to pay, I think, like 12 or $16 a day to make sure you spent Western currency. So I went back, I got back to Vienna, took a shower, and, and got on the next train and went south to Croatia. And that's a whole different, uh, that's a whole different point of, uh, uh, in my life. That took me into Balkan dance more than, than I'd ever been before. But I didn't forget Hungary, but I just wasn't going to go back and try to get into Transylvania at that point. Mm -hmm. I had a limited time. I had to meet my family. But I'll never forget that day saying, thinking I'm going to Transylvania, and I ended up back in, in, uh, in Vienna and then on into Croatia, into Zagreb. How, how interesting. And there I went to... Uh, yeah. Things might have things might have uh, ended up very differently for you, Steve. If uh, if you if you do go yeah. east, you know. Um, and I had cut you off, but in Zagreb you went where? Oh, from Zagreb, it's funny. I went to the Smotra Folklora, which was the big, their big, um, their big uh, folklore festival in Zagreb. And I met this guy, this young guy my age, who was very interested in his folklore, and he took me back to his town, which was Bielovar, and I stayed with him for uh, a good week and fell in love and had a blast and saw village dancing. Mm. I mean, at that point, things you're not finding village dancing. You're finding groups of villagers who are encouraged to get together and dance sometimes. I mean, there's, mm. a, there's a whole movement that took place between the wars that... Um, from World War One and World War Two, in Hungary, it was called the Junior um, Bokreta. Uh, are you familiar? With, you're familiar. With that. Yes, yes, uh, yes. The Pearly Bouquet, yeah. where, 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 yeah, where village groups were encouraged to keep their costumes up and their dances. The same thing was going on in uh, Yugoslavia. Hmm. It was called. Um, uh, and the name is slipping me. I, uh, it was. It was called. Oh God. Seljaška Sloga, Seljaška Sloga, which meant uh, Peasants' Union. So the same idea was going on. It was all based on what the Germans, I mean, this is my understanding of it. It was based on what the Germans called Trachtenverein, which meant, uh, so Seljaška Sloga meant the Peasants' Union. Trachtenverein kind of meant the costume uh, union. And these two were, were, were uh, movements toward preservation and resurrection of, uh, uh, you know, preservation of dance. And, uh, it was going on in the United States to some degree, too, with mm -hmm. the folk music. Uh, I mean, I guess it was going on in most Western countries uh, since probably since the late 19th century, where there was an attempt to keep some of these uh, traditional, whatever that means, um, uh, forms of dance music and costume and all that alive, or at least uh, uh, preserved. Mm -hmm. So, um, you saw, you, 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 is this your, this is your first trip to Europe. you you spend the time in Hungary and then, um, down to Croatia. When does the, you know, the rest of Yugoslavia open up for you 
and including your your uh, very well known passion about Al Al Albanian uh, folklore. Okay, well, you know, I, I'd always, uh, I used to go up to San Francisco a lot. I came back and uh, I went to UCLA, as I said, and I knew the, the festival record uh, uh, store in Los Angeles and the one up in the in in, um, in San Francisco, and I would always go hunting for different kinds of music. That's where I first heard Albanian music, actually. I found uh, an English album by uh, Lloyd, L.A. Lloyd, called Music of Albania, and that kind of stuff. And there were also some things that were coming out of Yugoslavia. So let me just jump. So I got an, a scholarship in 1972 uh, based on a woman named Ruby Lucetta, who had been uh, who had perished in a car accident in Vojvodina. Mm -hmm. and on her way back to Belgrade. And she was a folk dance teacher at the intersection. And they had a, a, a scholarship to go to Yugoslavia. And I, 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 it's funny, it was between, pretty much between me and Steve Murillo. And somehow I, I there were people who, who, who chose me over Steve. And, um, and I got, uh, I got this scholarship to go to folk dance camps in Yugoslavia, including in 1972 including Petsays and including two weeks at uh, uh, on the island of Badia, which is near where they had a, a summer folklore school okay. for both for foreigners and for Yugoslavs. This mm -hmm. is when Yugoslavia was still, uh, you know, a country. Yeah. Uh, but before then, I went with my parents back to Hungary. And I went back to Budapest in the Balaton region. And then, um, but not so much for folk dance research, more to just be with them and... Um, I went and saw some performances, and again we went with uh, Ashbet Cerny, and we went out to the countryside and saw some some uh, panels where they had local people dancing and singing. But I ended up getting into Yugoslavia. Uh, this is '72 in May, and I met up with Bob Liebman, and Bob and I, uh, Bob and I went to uh, to a number of festivals in the south to Serbia. And then we went together to villages. We saw a bunch of groups from there. We went to villages in, in southern Serbia and in eastern Serbia. Then we went down to Macedonia to several uh, folk dance um, uh, festivals where, where traditional groups danced and groups came from other countries, including Albania and Bulgaria. Went to Petse's camp and just went to weddings went and just did research all over that region. Went back up to Croatia, Spent a week there filming village groups. Uh, then I, I met up with Marty Koenig, and he and I went uh, with his girlfriend. We went uh, we went to um, uh, Dubrovnik and the island of Mjet, and then I went back for two weeks. I was there for like like two and a half, three months in in, in former Yugoslavia, mm -hmm. and just filming, learning, dancing, learning language, having the time of my life. Yeah. I was I was I was. Um, I was what was I then? I was maybe twenty one, mm -hmm. just having a blast, and and learn. I'd learned, you know, by then I was pretty proficient, uh, at least in the language, you know, at least in the language with with a dance, with a dance vocabulary, but also um, right. having a grand time and 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 learning and living the culture in a way, mm -hmm. or what you know, what I perceived to be the culture. Right. Uh, is is that when you decided to? Stay in Europe and live in Munich. Yeah, then I, then at at this camp, actually at this uh, this seminar, this uh, was twenty day seminar on the island of Miet, 
the, the Croatians would divide, they had divided uh, the, or not they, but uh, the folklorists in Yugoslavia had pretty much divided Yugoslavia into six major zones of, of, of music, dance, and what have you, based on, on geography and history. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that year, they had the Dinaric Zone, which included um, you know, parts of Croatia, Bosnia, and into Montenegro. Mm-hmm. That was one week, and the second week was, uh, was the Morava Zone, Serbian. And I met a number of people I'd met before from Serbia, I met Ivan Chan, who was the, the big, the big, the big uh, um, ethnochoreologist uh, from Croatia. Later became the the uh, artistic director for Lado, mm-hmm. and I met people from Kolo, and I, I just I met a tremendous amount of people, from villagers to those people who were big in the. Um, in the folk uh, folk dance and folk music folk performance uh, yeah. uh, world, so I've been meeting people who were related to to, to Tanets, to Kolo, and to um, to Lado. For right. those who aren't familiar with those things, those mm-hmm. are the, the sort of the state sponsored uh, professional ensembles. Right. And yeah, that was seventy two. And I met I met a woman um, in the second week at uh, at the um, body of folk dance uh, uh, seminar and she was from Munich and, and we fell in love and I went I drove back with her to Munich and I ended up uh, spending the summer 1972 during the Olympics that uh, that horrific event in Munich and um, and then um, I came back to the States for a short period of time a couple months and just needed to get back to Europe, so I went back to Munich, and I ended up living in Munich from seventy-two to eighty, and was very, very active in building a um, a folk dance, uh, primarily Balkan, but you know, it had elements of international and Eastern European, um, Central European today we'd call it uh, folk dance groups, groups, performing groups, teaching, bringing people from all these different countries, even taking tours. To these countries, to to Macedonia and Serbia. Was there any resistance from your family when you declared that I'm moving to Europe and I'm going to be a professional folk dancer? Um, you know, I, I don't. Uh, at that point, I think they they embraced it. Mm-hmm. My family had uh, everybody had. Per- chose pretty esoteric work. One of my brothers was a painter. The other one was a scholar, or is a scholar in in ancient magic. And, you know, so we're pretty esoteric. Uh, he's primarily Greek stuff. The other one worked for the Getty Museum as a um, restorator and later as a painter. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a way, my father kind of accepted all of that. But I cut myself off from my family for uh, close to two years. I just didn't. I just needed that uh, that break, and I don't think I don't think they were terrible. My my parents were terribly happy about it because mm-hmm. you know they didn't get the chance to see me too often, but they they did accept it. Right. I mean, they didn't have a choice. I was an adult. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, uh, you mentioned coming across all of these characters. You know, all these people connected with the state folk ensembles in these various countries or territories of Yugoslavia and Hungary as well, and You've mentioned some of the, the big names as well of, uh, of, of people who ended up coming back to the U.S. and teaching, 
Steve Murillo, Bob Liebman, Martin Koenig, all these names are very well known in the folk dance community here. Um, but you, you were there for, the, for those pivotal 70s years. I think you went to Hungary during that time as well, and you, you, you went to Sharos Potok Conference. Um, can you yeah. uh, tell us more well, about I, uh, your Hungarian so, research? Yeah, so let's move into that, because that's really where the Tanzhaus comes into my life. Hmm. And uh, um, or I get I go into the times. I was like, Chavo Palsy uh, would come to Munich a lot, and he would teach for both ballet schools, and I would always invite him to to do workshops in Munich, and uh, and even with I had a dance group with with my she's my sister in law now. She married my brother, but Margareta Markhorn Kotansky. We had a group called Gaida. Mm -hmm. And we would have Chaba also do choreographies for us, and Chaba and Ricky Holden too. Ricky Holden, who's was from originally from Texas, but had uh, worked for Folkcraft in in uh, in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And Ricky was living in Belgium, and Ricky came, and Ricky uh, was responsible for a lot of the early um, Balkan recordings that made it to, or a lot, not the very early, but the sort of mid. The 60s to 70s music that made it to, and Hungarian, that made it to the United States. He had produced three records that Chava put out before the Tantas stuff, and Chava convinced us that there was this movement going on in Hungary that he thought would appeal to, um, to international folk dancers. And he, I think he felt, and I'm not, I can't, he's no longer with us, but I think he felt that, that some of this was similar to what was happening in the United States with regard to the Balkan scene, where there was live music, not necessarily a, a, a choreographed dance, but, um, but a dance, you know, learning how to dance, to dance rather than learning dances. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. So dancing rather than, than, than just, uh, doing a dance, but then Chava was doing that with some of his stuff before the Tantas movement. He was, I, met, I noticed this in Munich, he would, he would teach a, a dance and he wouldn't necessarily say, you have to do 10 of these and 12 of these and 6 of these. You do what you want for the slow part and the fast part comes and you do pretty much the same thing for the fast music, you know? Mm -hmm. So the Frisch and the Lushu, he didn't do a lot of Transylvanian though, but he had a number of dances like that that, that, that uh, were a little more free, if mm -hmm. you want to look at it that way. Right. And he, he, then he was, uh, he, he knew what's going on with the Tantas movement. And Chaba was a thinker. He was also, a, uh, he was a doctor, Chaba policy. He'd done his, 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 um, he did his research in the Junjush Bokreta, the Pearly Bokeh, mm -hmm. written his doctor work on that. Well, he, Ricky Holden, and with, I was sort of the third man there. We organized this, the, thing in, in Shadosh Patak. I had no idea what it was, but Ricky, but it sounded good from what Chava was saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Ricky, and uh, I, I got a lot of people to come, and, and I was part of the organization. <clears throat> and we get there, and wow, it's unbelievable. I was starting to hear that music, that Shebu sound, the early Tantad sound. Mm. And <clears throat> live music, you know, and a whole new style of teaching. You know, not less talk, more do, you know, mm -hmm. uh, repetition, building, building through doing. And that's what uh, I call the TMAR, uh, uh, the TMAR uh, model of teaching. And uh, and you were asking me about teaching before Americans. We'll get to that because I think it, it's interesting because I, I still had a lot of that 
you know, explain a lot, you know, mm-hmm. uh, try to break things down and explain it more uh, through through speaking rather than through doing. And Timar was just, you know, the music started and he built it up from the from the from the from the ground up, which mm-hmm. was rather than from the head down, mm-hmm. which I think is a, is so different. Wow, um, that's a great, great and, way of putting uh, it. Yeah. So so here we are uh, in Shadosh Patak, greeting all these people from you know maybe from twelve, thirteen different countries, and uh, it was at this place. And the, the teacher there, the teacher, the first year was primarily uh, Timar. Shandor and Bushka, and then she had to go somewhere with the with the Bartok ensemble. So the second he had one of his students, then or one of his dancers uh, accompanying him. And the first year, as I recall, they taught uh, Seiki, the Seiki Tanzen, uh, and um, the the musicians that year were the Vizentu. Uh, they were the uh, yeah. live music for that week, and. Um, and the second dance cycle, and here was the word dance cycle uh, that was being mm-hmm. used, mm-hmm. was the um, was uh, Doma Hazard, or the Eastern Polots. Yeah. And we did some, we, we, we'd go out in the countryside and we would dance. We danced with some groups from Shatariauhe and that area. And we saw village groups and they brought groups in, not from Transylvania, because that was a little more difficult. So... Um, and how exciting was that to learn yeah. these men's dances, you know, to learn the, the, the Ritka and Molya tempo and, and be able to, to understand a dance as a structure hmm. that you did an A, B, B, and the C was a, was a, 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 the closing of the B, you know. And that was, to me, just fascinating to look at this linguistic model that uh, had grown out of this, this, this the teaching, I, I guess, the, not the teaching, but the research of Martin Zurich primarily, who was a structuralist, and he looked at these dances and broke them down that way, like A, B, B, C, or A, A, B, 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 or all, especially the men's dances. That was a little simpler than breaking down the couple dances. Mm-hmm. And um, that was so exciting to me that you could you could begin you could begin to really, it was poetry in motion, really. You could begin to, to you know, put, you, put together your own um, dance within the, within, you know, within the, uh, the bookends or the boundaries of that particular uh, dance dialect. And, and Martin, of course, had, had come up with the, that movie, that old black and white movie. We used to watch it at your father's also. He had a copy of that 16 millimeter of the, the dance dialects of Hungary. And that mm-hmm. was just Beautiful. You know, you look at those films and those movies look like they're from the 20s and 30s, but they were actually from the 60s. And the fact is they just didn't have enough money to to to, to put sound to them always and all that. So that was exciting. I, 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 I have fond, I have very fond memories of sitting uh, <laughs> at your mom and dad's house in, in Teaneck yeah. and, and just uh, Friday night putting those on and watching them. They were so exciting mm. because uh, you know here, here in the early days, you know you didn't have that much dance on film, and and even uh, young dancers were going to the to the institutes and, and watching these things again and again, and then you and and members of your dance group later would watch those videos that we took and those things, and you guys would spend you know you would spend ten twelve hours a day just trying to learn that stuff. Absolutely. Um, 
you've said a lot there. I, I you know, I, I have so many follow up questions. Um, this, this, uh, yeah, I'll, try but be, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be a little more. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm tabling things for the next uh, episode when you come back. But this Sharosh Patak Anyanyavi conference, the Mother Tongue conference, this was geared towards. Uh, this was like a folk dance camp. Like a well, the Anyanyavi was something completely different. Sharosh oh, okay. Patak was 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 is a folk dance camp mm-hmm. or a folk dance seminar. It was a seminar, and it was that was geared toward anybody. Um, Anybody, any dancer, folk dancer. It, you didn't have to be Hungarian. People came as from 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 Western Europe. From a, I don't think there were too many Asians in the beginning, but uh, Canadians, Americans, Western Europeans, and even a few Eastern Europeans in those early years. I, I actually was only uh, part of the organization for seventy. I guess it was seventy eight, seventy nine. And then, um, or seven, I think the first one was 78. And then in 80, Susie and I went back to part of it. It had moved from Shadosh Patak. We went back to part of it. And then it, it sort of fizzled out because by that time, I think there was a lot more going on. The Anyanyadi Conference, I didn't go to, but Susie went to, and that was in Budapest. Uh, and okay. I, um, I, I actually uh, was not, uh, I mean, I, Participated a little bit, but that was that was a different scene then too, and I I, I don't I can't really speak much about that. Mm-hmm. If you when you talk to Susie, she can give you a little more background with that because even how you found out about that uh, was you had to I have some kind of uh, Hungarian connection or background in mm-hmm. in the United States or Canada, those were or Australia, I think those were the, or Western Europe. But the Shadow Patak was was organized primarily for non-Hungarians. Is that where you met Susie? Yeah, we met there. We met there, um, and that's that's a long story. And um, well, it's right. still still ongoing. Still a long story, still ongoing. Right. But yeah, we met the very first year, and and then the second year she came back. Mm-hmm. And you can ask her about that because she has her own version of that and I was very excited that she was coming back and met her at the train station <laughs> and um, we had a wonderful I had a wonderful week I hope she did too yeah well hopefully <laughs> he's still married so. but the, that, that's yeah yeah that second it's interesting because that second year um, so the first the first year uh, was Seiki and the Domahaza and then there was another thing in there there was the, uh, there was a guy who came in he was teaching for Peshawar. Martin, Martin Peshawar came and gave a lecture, mm-hmm. and some other people came and gave lectures that first year. The second year, Martin George came and gave a lecture. But this year, there was all, we also did the, uh, the um, Delal Ferdi. But the interesting thing was, Timar taught the Seiki the way he taught it, and the Doma Hazai, very, like I said, from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And then the, um, the other teacher, and I can't remember his name, he he was uh, he was a Peshawar student, mm-hmm. and he taught Delalfurdi, but he taught it directly like Dela, like Peshawar brothers had notated it in the Sharga Kerns. Are you familiar with the Sharga Kerns? Uh, the Yellow Book. Um... The Yellow Book. Yeah, the Yellow Book is a collection of those dances that were on some mm-hmm. of the early uh, black and white films from the Institute. Mm-hmm. And later, Jura 
uh, Jura and and Kodai, I think. I think I might be wrong, but I know Jura. Jura got dancers together and redid. They danced through all those dances from the Lava notation and the old uh, black and white uh, um, silent films, mm-hmm. and they put those together with live music. And those, those the difference is they they take one they're one couple or one one performance of a dance by villagers or a villager at one time, and it's notated. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just like it's it's almost like a museum piece, you know. Right. Even though it's moving and all that, but it's not the same thing as. I mean, out of that they create the. The, I think some people were, would go into it and see that as these are the elements of the uh, of the linguistic approach or the or the language, but 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 they would preserve that just the way it was, and you know that so that, that that's already something happening in Hungary that's interesting that we could talk about my take on this now, how, how it, how from Timar it moved from the more geographically, geographically general to the, the village specific. And then, you know, I, I sometimes share that in some places, some people would say, uh, you know, I'm only doing, um, I'm only doing, uh, uh, Gigabachi's, uh, uh, uh from the age of what that he did from the age of 28 to to 30, you know, that, but yes. that's how specific it can get eventually. And, yeah. you know, you get these monographs that some people only do. For example, there was a time when Mezzeshegi was taught the second year was very popular, but it was more of a generic Mezzeshegi, even though it was primarily based on Palatkai. Later I learned that all the good variations or the tricky and the fast variations were done by Romanians in that area. And that's what Batu and Jura and people would see these movies and they would take those variations and bring them into into the, their Mezusheg. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, someone like Puma would just really focus on that one couple or one guy from from uh, from Magyar Palatka. Yeah. Well, things have certainly so changed. It, that's fascinating. It's fascinating. It's certainly changed from, you know, and Rabbi Miklos uh, would have been proud of that, of course, seeing that development, you know. Um, of, of of getting very micro, and um, yeah, you you moved back, of course, to the U.S. in the in the early eighties, right? Yeah, nineteen. Well, yeah, nineteen eighty. Okay, nineteen eighty. Yeah. So, and not and, early though. Uh, well, maybe it was. Maybe it was late seventy nine, early eighty. Anyway, eight, right. by eighty, I was back in in the in, in the New York area. Yeah, in okay. New York. Right. So. I, by the way, you mentioned Amon. I was offered, and things weren't going well for me in in in, in life and in Munich, and and I was really really wanted to come back to, to the United States and mm-hmm. be with Susie. But I, I was offered the artistic directorship of Amon, mm. and um, Dick Crum was doing it then, and I was offered that. Dick wanted me to do it, uh, but and Myman Miller, but yeah. I. Um, I, I took a look at what, you know, where my life was, what I was doing. It just didn't feel right. I didn't really want to live in Los Angeles. I wanted to be in New York, so I moved to New York mm. and, and, you know, and, and got started here in New York. And thanks to your father, your dad, you know, helped me, you know, had me help, 
helping in some of doing some of the the, the footwork for for the Hungaria records for the second Teka record for the Kodai uh, quartet mm. and you know your 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 parents were very very supportive and helpful um, and and of course uh, Susie and then working for for the uh, <clears throat> for Marty Koenig and teaching there and I I began to get some other jobs and, and do seminars and workshops and always. Decided to bring in um, some of the Hungarian. Oh, I wanted to say the second, uh, the second, uh, 1979, the or it might have been 80. This when was the when was the? I guess it was 1980 that Timar came over for the first time to the symposium. Yes, that was 1980. Yeah, in New Jersey. Yeah, 80 summer of 80. Then it was 79 where um, Timar taught Mezerschek and. Uh, they had Balaz Gusti come and do uh, Tsiga. Mm-hmm. That was really exciting, yeah. That was in Sharoshpatak, yeah? In Sharoshpatak, yeah. Right. Well, Bola, uh, and of and course, Balaz Gusti's son became a fabulous dancer and uh, went to the Tambritons, and I was in Pittsburgh, so... Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, seems, and we met, yeah. we, and Susie and I went and spent a, a week in... in uh, uh, Balaz Gusti started his own uh, camp in... in um, Eastern Hungary, uh, he called it Tsigan Tabor, mm-hmm. and that was prime. And that that had that was primarily for for gypsy for R- R- Roma. I mean, they didn't. It's funny you don't use hear that word so often in Hungary, uh, uh, Roma, and and that uh, that was a, a really fun <laughs> fun camp. And then we went back and spent time with uh, with with Gusti and his first wife, and we met. Um, we met uh, Bolaj, uh, we met uh, Ricky when he was like six or seven and um, a fabulous dancer already then. Oh, yeah, you know? for sure. So there are all these connections. I mean, the connections just never stop. And we brought Gusti, Susie and I brought Gusti over for uh, to teach at Stockton, and then he did some workshops in the East, on the East Coast as well. You know, another connection that I see, and you may, you might not see, but Sharosh Potok is only a few miles from where your 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 you know Slovak Carpato Rusin family is from. You know, and exactly, yeah, you know. they're 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 from there, and we we actually went back last. Well, Susie and I then organized some some tours with Butchu the last uh, two years. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. this year we won't be able to go because of the COVID. We went. We had planned on doing Western and Northern Hungary this. Um, Northwestern Hungary uh, this year. The first year we did, uh, we, we concentrated on the southern part and the Dale also. But last year we were up in, in, in Kosha and we, we actually had uh, workshops with uh, Slovaks and uh, Hungarian, uh, a mixed village, uh, um, Nadia, what's it called? It's uh, slipping uh, my mind. Um, Anyway, uh, it's right near Kasha, right outside of there. It's a very, very organized uh, group of dancers, and they do, they're mixed of Hungarian, Slovak, and even Carpathos. Mm. So I, I would love to go back to that region. It's, uh, it's, yeah. it's uh, very interesting. Well, th- these are tours, by the way, that anyone can sign up for. Uh, these are uh, in the English language tours, and uh, and you can go and you you go to villages and you learn uh, the. You, you you know you eat the great food. The musicians are there. You learn the dancing. So these are like folk yeah. dance tours, and it's really really cool what Steve did. Right, and and we had we have mixed. We had uh, both Hungarian speakers, and a lot of the people who come on it uh, have um, 
in the beginning, we thought, since we're on this tour thing, we thought, oh, let's try, I, I talked about you, let's try to do dances that would not necessarily be couple dances, but in the long run, the, most of the people who came, um, I would say 75 to 80% came with a partner. So, um, but but we always made sure that we're, uh, you know, in that style of the tansa. So there's, there's a parchera, the couple mm-hmm. changing, and also try to get, uh, um, you know, as many, uh, many non-couple dances too, because I think there's, People, uh, there's a lot of non-couple dancing in Hungary, not as much as, as a couple dancing, but there's plenty of it in the Hungarian diaspora or in the Hungarian dance repertoire. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve, you mentioned Stockton and 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 uh, the camp, and I know there's the you know the EEFCs, Balkan camps, and, and Mendocino folklore mm-hmm. camp, and all the other various camps that that you've taught at and festivals and the like. And I'm I'm curious. Um, you know, it's one thing to say it, uh, teaching from the ground up versus from the head down, but, but, you know, most of your, your clientele there, the camp goers are used to the, the old antiquity dances, the colo, the, the circle dances, um, which are, which are more, more rigid than the Hungarian, uh, Tansa style of dances. When you do teach to them, and I've seen you teach Mezvesheg, and I've seen you teach, uh, you know, Kalotaseg and, and, and Romanian stuff too, Invirtitas and the like. How, uh, how, how does that go? Uh, what kind of success do you have and how do people at these, at these places, you know, ad- adopt and, and respond to that different method of teaching? Well, it depends. It's doctrine. You have 55 minutes to present something and they want a dance description beforehand. So often what we'll do is we will put together a, a, a sequence to a particular piece of music because you're not having live music. You're not having, you know, so you, you pretty much are doing uh, the, the old way of doing things. But the difference being you're, 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 you're pulling, you're pulling up uh, dance motifs and dance sequences that are uh, closer to the source. I don't. I, I hate that word authentic because anything could be authentic. Uh, then you explain to people, or I would explain, we would explain to people that this can be done um, freestyle or whatever that means. You know, you don't have to follow the sequence, but but for learning purposes, uh, I find, and especially for people who are, you know, maybe just having a. a a primary exposure to this the first time, you know, they need something that they can, that they can hold on to in their, in their head because that's how they're thinking differently. though, when we had camps of, for example, the symposium or we had the Barachag or some of these, the Tabo I've never been to, I wish I could get there. Uh, or the Titi Tabor, you know, mm-hmm. those grew out of people, um, open to doing more, um, more freestyle dancing mm-hmm. and learning things, uh, learning, learning, and, and they're more comfortable with the, with the, with the language, you know, and that's how they learn it. But not in Stockton. Some other places, you know, we've had to, I, I, Gusti came and he tried to do the, the, or he taught the, uh, the, the Tigan material as, as just freestyle, but my suggestion, because people are always watching him, was put together a sequence that builds on, you know, from the basic on up. And, uh, you know, that works better in the beginning. And then you, 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 it's a little bit like you, you know, you hook them 
Yeah. And then once you got them, then they're interested in going and, 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 and investigating it deeper. Yeah. Same with Balkans, same with, you know, you can't, you know, you, you can't expect people to get up and, 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 and learn all these different variations to a, to a Pravo Horo and be able to then, um, you know, just freely do it. No, they need, they need some, most of them need some practice and need some kind of structure. Yeah, yeah. I remember, um, my, my dad was helping Butchu prepare for one of these Stockton things and dancing on the video. I don't know if you know, remember this, and, and uh, Butchu was doing some kind of uh, step, and my dad said, what's the name of this step? And Butchu's like, what do you mean, what's the name? And my dad's like, you need a name for this step in order to, so we can notate it, you know, and then, uh, uh, right, you right, said, yeah. oh, his that name, was, yeah, his name is Gula, you know, <laughs> his name is, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one of the, one of my favorite moments, I think it was with Jura or, and Juji, when they were teaching at, um, at, at Bonachag, and this was supposed to be a place where people were open to all this, and all of these American folk dance, um, well, not all of them, but many of them, especially on some of the women, wanted to know what the signal was. <laughs> What's the signal for changing a step? You know, like in Mezeshek, how does the guy signal? And, and they just, when it was translated to them, they kind of looked like, what? No signal? No. The, the, guy, the guy changes a step, and the, and, the, and the woman, you know, the woman reacts. And, yes, yes. You know, but, but people wanted, you know, they wanted the, the secret signal. <laughs> Right. And, you know, and, and it's, it's like, you know, there are things like, like squeezing the arm a little more, or, you know, tossing a little more, getting out of the way, whatever, you know, there, there are things, but I, I think that a lot of the non-Hungarians, especially at that, and who were there, mm-hmm. they wanted, you know, they were, they, they wanted more information. They wanted more, you know, uh, it was, or maybe the women were just saying, what can you tell these guys? These guys aren't giving us any, any, you know, any direction. That's, That's right. really what it was. It wasn't. That's right. No signals. Just, so, you know, so, and they, they, they it's like what you said, Jula or something. Yes. They looked at, uh, they looked at it. <laughs> and Hungarians, when they teach non-Hungarians, they, you know, and or Hungarians in general, you know, I, I remember how many times I wanted to be lauded. I wanted to be patted on the head. And, you know, you, you, you don't get you don't get the compliments you, that you, you, you want sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, I remember um, I, I was I said to I think it was Bachu that I said, you know, come on, Bachu, you know, they're having trouble. They wanted, you know, Alka, Alka, he just said, "Akarni nem eleg." You know, he said, yeah. "It's not enough to want to do it." <laughs> yes. You have to do well. And Gusti was a little bit like that too. That you know, yeah. uh, that that, yeah. that you know. You, Hungarian, you know, you got, they worked hard to get there. They worked very hard. And that's one of my sayings. I said, you know, the best Hungarian dancers are always going to be Hungarians. But the worst Hungarian dancers will probably be Hungarian too. And we as non-Hungarians kind of sit in there somewhere. But I, I used to say, why are they so good? And I, and it, I, you know, I don't believe in this BS that it's in your blood. I believe it's the hot, it's in your sweat. It's not in your blood, but it's in the sweat. Mm. You know, how hard did you work to do it? Okay, if you're going, I used to say to people, you know, we dance this once a week for an hour, 
And then, you know, the next week we come back and do it again for maybe six to eight weeks. And I said, half of it has to be reviewed, or quarters of it the next week. I said, Hungarians go three, four times a week. Some of them dance in ensembles as well. I said, you know, it's, it's the, it's the drive they have to learn it. They get so good. I mean, there's some guys I saw last time I went to Hungary from, from Japan and from now from China who are amazing. Yeah. I mean, and you know the work you put into dancing when you guys were young, you and, Mm -hmm. and I remember Attila, you guys would, um, you guys were, you guys would, you know, you guys just couldn't get enough of it. And I said that, that passion to do it, where does that come from? I don't know. I'd have to ask, I'd have to interview you about where that comes from. Or, or I'd have to interview, you know, Iliko's kids. Why are they so passionate about playing Hungarian music? Yeah. Is it because they're Hungarian? Probably a little bit. But I mean, that, that, that plays a big role in it. But for, for the non-Hungarian, um, yeah, you know, well, I any, believe anybody well, that I believe, and I'll say this. Right. Go, ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, then. no, I was going to say I believe that anybody, if they put in the uh, drive and effort, can get pretty good at it. And and you know, and I used to always use Jura. As, you know, Jura, you know, as this blood thing. Okay, his family has comes from you know the northern uh, reaches of ultimately of of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, mm-hmm. you know, and there are people who, um, myself included, I, I I look at old films of me when I was working really hard at this with Batu and with Jura, and I was pretty good at it. I mean, I was I would never be as good as any of these Hungarians who made it their livelihood and all that, but I worked really hard and I was able to you know I was able to get I thought get pretty good at it. And I loved when your father, I think, put this whole thing together. Could only a Hungarian win a Zsa look about like a Zsa Zsa Gabor look-alike contest? <laughs> you know, that was a really good question. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, because what, what, what gets me, though, with uh, about you um, is I, I know you mostly as a Hungarian dancer and many people in our community do. But wait a second. I mean, you you... You might be even better with Albanian dancing or Macedonian dancing, and and that that's um, you know almost freakish to me in a very good way. Um, you know, I, I don't know what your true. If I if I said okay, Steve, we're going on a deserted island, and you can only do one form of dance or one type of nationality's dance. What would you choose? Where 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 does it really lie? You know. <laughs> you know, I, I don't. I, I think I think that Macedonian and and. Albanian border areas where I would probably choose, but I'm going to say something. I think it's easier to be re- to be good at Macedonian Albanian dancing than it is to be good at Hungarian dancing. I think there's a proficiency in. I mean, it's easier for me. That maybe that's the right way to say. Uh, I think that the Hungarian, uh, you know, and when you talk again, what when you say Hungarian dance, what are you talking about? You know, because that's that. You know, a lot of people look at the at the the legging or the or those dances as as the pinnacle of of being a good Hungarian dancer. Whereas, you know, Bacu or somebody would understand too that even and Jura too that sometimes just just doing a simple uh, 
you know, Dunan Tuli Chardash can be, you know, all these dances, depending on what you invest into them and what you, you know, the deeper you go into them, the more you realize, I hope, how little you know about them. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. I, I do, and, and that's the thing about Hungarianism, and I know, because we became very micro, thanks to micro in terms of, like, the person we're going to dance, the dance style of, and not just the person, but the year and the street that he, it was filmed on and all that, you know? Um, thanks to the Tansas movement, we've gotten there. These other countries, unfortunately, just haven't, you know, they didn't have that. Uh, and, their, and their dance styles are different because they're more or less circle-based. Well, and their dances are, are yeah, circle and community-based. I mean, not that Hungarian dance isn't community-based, but Hungarian dance, historically, uh, uh, you know, it focused more, I mean, in a way, if you look at dance as a, as a representation of sort of human uh, consciousness development and stuff, you know, as you got into Central Europe and stuff, the individual began to emerge because of uh, political and historical consequences, as opposed to in the Balkans, where the the, the, the mindset was more communal. Yes. So, you know, you, you know, it's interesting in Romania, for example, where you have the, the Fecheriaska, where you have groups of men dancing uh, more or less the same uh, pattern and step, mm -hmm. right? Yeah as opposed to the Kolata Segi Legenyash or whatever. It's a little more like the Seiki Fairfi uh, Tanso, uh, where, where the, they dance in a circle, and, and if you went to Budapest, you'd see it more individual, but if you saw it in the original Seiki, you know, it was more of a, a communal thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Is that right? Do you understand? Do you see what I'm saying? I totally see what you're saying, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you, know, and you saw in Hungary the older style Vatabunks, were were the Western and the Southern Vatabunks, which were again circle Vatabunk, pure Vatabunk. Whereas when you got up to uh, what developed further in in Sotmar is is you know or what what we know about what developed in Sotmar later was a, a lot more individualistic. And this was of course the effect of the Renaissance and the how the Ottoman occupation plays in and all that stuff. So there's you know there's, sure and uh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. Steve, for those of us around in the 80s, uh, we remember the Gujoy dance group, which I mentioned in the beginning. Uh, tell me how that came to be and who was in that dance group. Sure. Well, before that, when I first came back uh, in 72, Susie was dancing with uh, with Kirti Latsi, and Susie had started, and Hothazi Alona, and a few people had started a group called Ungareska. Right. And and they uh, and they were beginning to get interested, in, and Susie had gone to Hungary in seventy. Um, uh, oh no, one, oh, the seven, late seventies. I came back in eighty. Excuse me, not seventy-two. I came back in nineteen eighty, right. and this so late seventies. They were doing. Um, they were beginning to, you know, get interested in the in the tantas style and movement and direction. And a, a big part of the tantas style and movement was was you know the Hungarian Transylvanian dances. I mean, that's where that's where the word came from, even tantas. And so people were interested in that stuff and I came in and joined that and then uh, <clears throat> that didn't it lasted for a while and then uh, Lotzi left I think or he was studying at NYU and mm -hmm. Susie was studying dance ethnology at NYU too 
<laughs> you can talk to her more about that. She knows the, the evolution of that. But then, in the early 80s, I got, Susie and I got invited, invited by the, the Balkan Arts Center, became the, uh, became the, um, Ethnic Arts Center, became the Society for whatever. Yeah. I don't even know the name anymore. It was, uh, Marty and Ethel, Marty Koenig and Ethel Rain. Yeah. And we taught, we taught one of the first, um, Tantas, uh, series. Mm-hmm. And then we chose, I think we, we chose Messerschick. And mm-hmm. we taught that for a long time. And out of that, we thought, you know, we wanted to have a dance group. We didn't have kids yet. So we started, uh, Guja. Your dad helped us with that name. He, and I, I think I'm pretty much sure he helped us with that name. We came across it and it went, meant spinning room. And, uh, we, my, our idea, Susie and my idea was, could we have a, a dance group, a performing group, or people who are interested in learning these dances well enough that that when we put together a choreography, we could just draw on their ability to to uh, to just dance, you know, along the lines of what was going on with Bartok Ensemble, uh, with the Kodai Ensemble. I think the Kodai was a big was a big influence. The yeah. Kodai Kamarai Dutesh yes. that broke away from that was that interim period where Jura and 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 at that point Zuzi and and Hoosh, yeah. all these you know these early uh, former dancers with the state ensemble they had left the state ensemble because uh, I think it just was time it was time for them to move on I don't want to get I don't know the exact I mean they had their their problems and Timar was running the state ensemble and mm-hmm. they were all students of Timar but I think they were all you know they were all pushing the envelope a little further. You know, they wanted yeah. to go a little further, a little deeper. And they all, and so they influenced us by then. And we brought them over. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jura and Bachu, and you mentioned Shara Ferry, um, to work, to work with us. And, um, and they, they actually taught us like they did, uh, um, uh, the, uh, the tower, Toronto, what was the, uh, Toronto group's name? Kodai? Uh, Kodai. Before, the Kodai, yeah, the Kodai, thank you. Uh, and they would, you know, I think they were the first, I think, uh, Kaman Senior, Daisega, was the first one to invite, um, uh, Jura over to teach some of, some of his choreographies. So they taught us Kodai, Kabara Edutesh, and Budapest choreographies, Finnish choreographies. Mm-hmm. We did it at that point, we learned to do, and I did, Susie and I did a couple choreographies. We did a Messerschmitt, we did a, uh, a Dunan Tuli, then Batu came over and did a Dunan Tuli, and Jura came over and did, uh, uh did a Sotmari, and, um, Batu did a Kalotaseg choreography for us, and so, um, I wanted people, I, I didn't want to do choreographies right away, but mm-hmm. I found out, and these were primarily non-Hungarians in the group, I mean, for a while, uh, Kozbor Ishvan danced with us, and even for a while, um, there was another Hungarian who was living here for a while, dance with us. So, but mostly non-Hungarians who came out of the Balkan folk dance movement and out of our Tantas classes and were wanted to do Hungarian dancing. Mm-hmm. So uh, that lasted for you know several years until you know we had Jesse in '87 and Maya in '89, and by the time. Uh, Maya was born. It was just, it was just more than we could handle. We were living up here in, in Valley Cottage and it just became more than we could handle. And, and 
you know, anyway, we, at, at that point, I have to say too, I'm going to just say this too. You Hungarians, you Hungarians, you know, you guys, you guys were really pushing up too. You were already developing your bands, your, your orchestras, you guys took it over and, and that's the way it should be. Yeah. And I was, you know, I said, there's no point in us non-Hungarians who are doing this style of dance to continue to do it, you know, if the Hungarians are picking it up and are doing the same thing because, you know, that's, that's the way it should be. And, and, and you guys were better than us, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, well it was I, a different... I could have held my own. We could have held our own. Right. I'm sure a lot of people, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it was a different, uh, it was a different, uh, uh, you know, membership, right? You say they're mostly non-Hungarians. They're a bit of a, you know, older than what we were doing with Hungaria, and then, and of course, we were in New Jersey, right? So, um, yeah, already, so. And, but and you guys were younger, and you guys had your language, but yeah. but the other thing is that uh, in the in the back of my mind, I still, I I still wasn't achieving with with the non-hungarians the level that i had been able to um enjoy and experience with hungarians yeah. and for some reason you know i don't know was that me was it them was it the involvement you know i i always just felt like you know we we just we we we, we looked good i remember one puntozo we went to and and daisika kaman and sompo andor and everybody pointed to our group Mm. You know, we were kind of the only non-Hungarian group and said, this is the future of Hungarian dance mm. in, in North America. That was, that was the, you know, that was, that was a pump as we went to up in, I think it was, it was I think it was Toronto. Yeah. And, or, or, or St. Catharines. St. Catharines. Yeah. Anyway, exactly. St. Yeah. Catharines. And yeah. that, and that, and that's, that's what, you know, that I was really proud that we had brought, you know, brought it that far. And uh, I yeah. think that year was a year that also even Halmos um, Bela uh, was there. And mm -hmm. you guys, they played music for us. And it was just like, you know, wow. We'd kind of, you know, got, we, we, did, we did the right thing. You did you know? the right and, thing, Steve. Then, we, uh, that's, that, that was a, the, the, the mid-80s there was the time period when you were still seeing red boots and uh, choreographies, you know, um, and, and the old style. Colliding with the with the Tansha style, which of course is the older style, but anyway, we call it the newer style, and and that's what Gujoy, that improvisative kind of spirit, and the insistence on live music, um, uh, in fact, was uh, was very special. And uh, you know, we had Hungaria, we were already doing that, but we were doing stage choreographies as well, things about the immigration, things about the '56 revolution, you know, little different type of choreographies. You guys went up there, and you were almost like. Like the New York version of the uh, the Kodai uh, Ensemble in Budapest, you know that spirit, that yeah. mentality. And we had we had uh, David Skews, who was yes. was uh, you know very uh, you know may he rest in peace. He yeah. was he was um, you know playing that kind of music, and uh, we had we had live music too, which was a lot of fun. I yeah. Mean, it, and but when you have these when you have these uh, amateur ensembles, you know you're limited. And in those days, you had a few more places where you might be able to. We would perform at at uh, Columbia Folk Dancers or stuff like that. But 
But there, there weren't that many places to really, unless you had a tour agent or somebody who, there weren't that many places to, to perform. Yeah. And I found that, I found that sometimes the, the dynamics and the politics of, of people who wanted to perform, it got in the way of, of, of my mission, which was to really let, bring the level of dance up higher and higher. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what I mean, but people are anxious to get on the stage in a costume and 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 dance. And and that wasn't my <laughs> that wasn't my main purpose or point for doing this. And yeah. Although you know, I, I see I see how if you're going to be in a performing group, the, you want to perform. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure, I I, I understand. But, but, yeah, that's the payoff. But that you know? same thing happened with the Kodai Edutesh and the State Ensemble. You know, the yeah. Kodai Edutesh, they wanted the, they, the older dancers were perfectly happy performing the older stuff that they knew. But Bachu and Jura and Mickey and all those people, you know, they, and, and Shara, they, they wanted to take it deeper and, and to a level that was no longer it sort of removed the word folk out of it. Mm. They wanted it to be, you know, they wanted it to be a dance style of its own. When Bachu first saw uh, Antonio Gades, and, and, and he, he just said, wow, this is, you know, they've taken a traditional form, flamenco, and they've elevated it to this, to such a, a high level. And I think Jura and, and Bachu wanted to do that too and have done that. And, and also now you have people like... Uh, Roman Shani, who's, who's doing some pretty, you know, all these, and then you have the people who go back the other way. Let's go back to the basics, you know. Let's yeah. go back to the. <laughs> and and I find it so fascinating. We went to the Seiki uh, Tanz Tabor, and um, here where it all started, you know, Seiki, and they're bringing in, um, you know, Sisi and Hush to teach, you know, yeah. that's because they they're bringing in people from Hungary because. Those people know it, you know, better and, or I don't know if they know it better, but they remember it and they've kept it going and they've researched it deeper. It, it's, it's, it's such a conundrum. It's such a, it's such a, uh, an interesting phenomenon. Yes, it is. Um, Steve, you teach, uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you, I know you're teaching um, during non-COVID times, uh, you know, that kids dance in the New York City area, uh, K through 12. Are you teaching them any Hungarian? Yes, I do that too. Um, you know, I I, I do uh, not not so much couple dancing, but I have done some couple dancing. But often I'll do some, uh, you know, uh, with with kids in the sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And sometimes I've gone down as low as third grade. I did a a kondas dance, and mm. that's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, you can. And then uh, Susie and I did something last year with first graders or kindergartners, I think. And they came out singing uh, some Dunantu, a Dunantu song in Hungarian. And she taught that to them. And then we um, we just put together, you know, uh, like, like, like any Hungarian group would do for little kids. Right. You know, you take elements of Hungarian dance, but tradi- traditional music, and we had live music with the Vannevar Caravan. Hmm. And um, I don't know if you know Bill and Livia Vannevar. They're very active in in all kinds of uh, folk music, especially uh, well-known in, in, in America, and he used to play a lot with Pete Seeger and stuff. Wow. And 
And when they do international programs for kids in schools. Mm-hmm. It's a week-long uh, uh, internship. And at the end of the week, the kids dance in some form of costume with for the other kids and their parents to live music. And I've done that also in some schools out here where we live um, with live music sometimes and sometimes not. Mm-hmm. And I've done, um, you know, I, I've done some... Just basic folk dance, I, and it depends on what this. The, in in one year, in one school I go to, they ask me for different. Uh, they have different themes each year, and mm-hmm. I find something that works. And mm-hmm. I often uh, turn to Hungarian because it's uh, it's so beautiful, and there's usually always somebody in one of my classes who has Hungarian ancestry, or is even uh, may even be um, you know an immigrant. Mm. That's so cool. Immigrant, yeah. That's so cool. So you have a, and here you are. Uh, you know, you talk about the irony of uh, Sisi and Ildiko teaching in uh, Sikh, and here you're teaching Hungarians uh, their own folk dance potentially in uh, in well, yeah. yeah. Um, well, there's, there's, there's sort yeah. of that. There's that thing, Richie. I think too. If um, why do, and, and Chaba, what policy? Back to Chaba. He talked about this. What What was the main reason why the Tanzhas? Uh, movement was able to take place in Budapest. And you know what his take on it? He's a scientist. He was a scientist, besides an artist and a dancer. He said the most important thing to have, first of all, was expendable time, free time. Hmm. Because without free time, people would have no interest or money or anything to go and and, and it's, it, they had to and they had to get away from it, far enough away from it. I mean, Mm-hmm. People had stopped folk dancing more or less, except you know maybe Chardash for <clears throat> for decades before the Tantas came into uh, yes. being. You know, there's this there's this sort of thing that why why should we dance anymore? We have these professionals on the stage who come twice a year and they do it on television, <laughs> you know. But but I think that 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 people needed free time. I think they also needed to get out of the house to meet other people. Mm-hmm. And you had some brilliant minds like Timar and 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 um, Martin and Peshavar and yeah. and even uh, Novak and all these people who who you know had different takes on it. Susie's did a lot of interviews with Novak and Timar mm-hmm. about why the Tantas because and she'll talk to you about that. I think it's fascinating, but. You know, it's the right time, right place, right political environment, and uh, you know this whole nomad. You know that yeah. I don't know the, the nomad generation. Yeah. You know that there was just a resurgence, and it, it it's ha- and it, it's cyclical. It's happened again, and it's interesting how it went. It, it happened in in Hungary, and it, and in all these Eastern European countries, it still had a finger link, a little finger link to their folklore and their dance mm-hmm. and their music. How they uh, went about interpreting it and 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 re and reinvigorating it. The Greeks are fascinating. I mean, we could talk for days about this stuff, and and um, I don't know that we would get any closer to the right answer if there is one. But uh, I think in Budapest, when Pat, when when Team oh, and I don't know, Pat Palfi told me that I said, yeah, for young people to all of a sudden get interested or re, uh, you know find an interest in this, it took leadership. And it took, as they said, some free time and some, um, you know, and, and look where it's going now. I mean, yeah. uh, I don't want to get involved with the the, uh, the political aspects, but, uh, but uh, you know, it was, it was made clear to me <laughs> at the Tantra Talakozo when I saw what the, 
what kind of pamphlets were out there that, you know, yeah, this can also be, serve a purpose for, and I don't know that the purpose is necessarily the right purpose, but it can also serve a purpose for, for other ends. You know what I'm talking about. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, it's, um, uh, this is, a, I think, a very good uh, place to stop in terms of, um, of, of time. We're speaking of time. I think you're right. We can go for days and weeks probably talking, Steve. And like I said at the beginning, there's a lot, there's a lot to cover. Um, and and I, I really appreciate your inspirational speech that, you know, uh, when you think of, of, of non-Hungarians who have really made it their own, made Hungarian dancing their own, um, I, I always think of you and your wife first and foremost, and uh, it's an it's an inspiration for us to aim to be that way as Hungarians. Um, and, and again, Hungarian is just a little part of what you're really good at. Um, and and uh, I appreciate all your energy. You've been at this for five decades now, Steve. I think you have a, maybe a couple more left here to, to, to keep giving to the uh, keep giving well, to the masses. You know, if, you know? I can, if I can just leave you with this message, as much as, as I've been blessed learning from from Hungarians, your parents, you, your sister, and all these people we mentioned, you know, Baciu and Ildiko and, and Jura and Juri and Hussein uh, Sisi and all, you know, yeah. uh, Kaman Senior and then the dry circuit. I like to think in all that I've learned from you guys that I brought a little bit of my culture into their lives. And I, I, I see that, which is important to me that I, I have, you know, I have some of my, uh, my fondest moments and, and I like to consider some of my best friends, uh, these people, not just in the Hungarian community, but you, I know, and you mentioned Raif and Merita and, mm-hmm. and these different people I've met, uh, I like to think that we share in common a passion and love of of um, of some something that's just proven by time, and that's dance and music and costume and food and language, you know. And and it's crossed borders. It does cross borders. And I, I just I would encourage anybody who gets interested in this to 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 become open minded. Don't you know? Don't don't become closed by all of this because it, it's an opening. It's an opening into um, into a world of just of humanity. I think that's where you were going before when you mentioned the two sides of the coin. Um, you know, yeah. th- this should be a starting point, opening up the rest of the world. And you have opened up a lot of things about Eastern Europe and Central Europe to me, and including some great friends like Raif and Marita. Um, and, and I appreciate all that, Steve. Well, uh, this is a good place to stop, I think. And um, uh, I'd like to thank Steve Katansky for joining Atansas Talk. And um, until next time, this is Kaman Magyar Uchi uh, bidding you farewell.